clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're here to talk about the 12th episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This one was called Both Things Can Be True. Okay. What do you think about this title, Paul? Both things. <laughs> well, it means that both of the things yeah. can be true. They're not mutually exclusive. It's Got not it. one or the other. Right. It's not a zero-sum game. Okay. Both can be true. Okay. Well, what things do you think we're talking about in this episode? Oh, there's so many things. I'm going to say it, it can be, both things can be true that Miguel can have married Rebecca with the most sincerest of intentions and with complete respect for Jack. And also he can still feel guilty about that. You know, since the flashbacks were entirely centered on Miguel and his relationship to Jack, there weren't other pieces of that you know sometimes they do like well, the little kids mid-aged kids teen mm. kids all in the same run but no this was just that scenario right and i mean there were other stuff happening this episode obviously that wasn't the whole <laughs> whole episode right. but i think that's going to be the both things that that i would bet on myself yeah and miguel and rebecca's relationship has been something that fans have you know, really wanted to know more about since we got that little tiny nugget way back when, when we saw Beth actually help Rebecca get onto Facebook back when Tess was born. And so we knew that it was a good amount of time past when Jack had passed. So it's not anything like as viewers, we weren't really in this Nikki mind frame where it's like Miguel had been coming in and swooping. We know Rebecca was alone for a long period of time. And that Miguel wasn't even in contact. Well, let's talk about the the flashback sections first. Okay. I mean, those were the sweetest, I guess. The mm -hmm. uh, you know the the moments between the the guys, Jack preparing the big proposal. Do you feel cheated at all that you didn't get to see the proposal? Do you think we will? Or do you think that was it? I kind of don't. Ooh. Hmm. They don't always show us the big moments here. You're very right. I hadn't considered that. Maybe now I feel a little cheated. <laughs> I hadn't really considered that when we were watching it. I guess I thought we would just pick it up later at another point in time. Maybe it would be Rebecca telling Kevin the story from her POV or something. Gosh, I hope that's not all of it, but you're right. It may very well be. Did you like the Miguel and Jack acting out the proposal when Miguel was like, yes, Jack? <laughs> yeah, that was that was funny. It was cute. Miguel is uh, a better friend than he gets credit from uh, the fans for, he, you know, the swooping in part that was made. It was painted to look that way. Always from the beginning. From the, yes. from the beginning. Right. Uh, so this was our, our one chance to see what Miguel has emotionally invested in all sides of the equation. It was just a little taste, but I think it delivered with that. Th this was not just some willy nilly adventure for him to just marry his best friend's widow. You yeah. know, it was much more than that going into this. Do you realize that Paul, that we actually on both sides of our family know people who ended up marrying someone who knew the person who had passed away and had become like close to the the person who had been left behind basically on both sides of our family that has happened and on both sides I would say it's worked out you know it's worked out for both of those people 
And I don't think there was any sense of swooping. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I guess whenever you have someone who's ever known the couple before, there's always going to be some sense of, did you try to lay some groundwork or do something beforehand? You and I have even talked about it completely jokingly. But like, I I mean, we have three special needs kids. So the idea of me being like left alone to like raise them was like insane. So when we were younger, we'd always kind of be like, well, I should probably marry one of your friends, right? Because they would like know us and they'd like understand, right? Mm -hmm. Like we'd because because we were so nervous all the time about neither one of us wanted to be solely responsible for raising the kiddos. So it was like, well, just just marry someone who already knows everything that we went through and and knows you so that they know what we'd want. What silly weird things. (laughs) I was going to have to marry Janelle. (laughs) Because she knows sign language. Yeah. Right. I was going to have to marry which one of your friends has the most money. Well, that only makes sense. (laughs) I mean, I'd hope for that anyway. I know. Me too. Really? (laughs) So in the, in the moment when Miguel and Jack get into it with, Rebecca's dad. Yes. And later on, we are treated to Miguel putting Nikki's mind at ease concerning the best man discussion, or maybe even stand in for brother, how some men call, you know, non-blood relations Mm -hmm. brother, and they really seem to mean it. I was thinking... Actually, Miguel performed a lot better than Nikki would have in that moment defending Jack. I mean, now that now that Nikki's a crusty old man, <laughs> he he uh, he he he's found his voice. He, he jumps to Jack's defense when he thinks he needs to, but at that age, I don't know that he would have. No, I think you make a good point, and and also they've been painted more like Miguel wasn't just a peer. I mean, he was almost a mentor in some ways, not in this huge dramatic gap between them, but like he was higher up than Jack when it came to his career. And, you know, he was the one who was like making more, doing more. And he was always a little bit just urging Jack to do it better. Even with this, with the proposal, he's like, he was already married. You could see Miguel's wedding ring when they were looking at trying to get the other ring off for Becca's. So he was already married. So he had already gone through this. So he has always been a little bit more of a role model for Jack in terms of like, well, have you considered this? Have you like, you know, looked at it this way? Not in a overbearing, authoritative kind of way, but definitely in a big brother kind of way. After watching Nikki step in during the, I I assume that was um, Kevin's agent or manager. I think so, yeah. Maybe PR person. Some one of those. uh, But he he kind of invited himself with his Cheerios to that discussion. (laughs) And then he invited himself to co-host the rehearsal dinner. Right, with his Cheerios. (laughs) Do you suppose that Nikki will continue to be this amusing source of sitcom antics in terms of being so out of touch with how things work, but wanting to, he means well and wants to do stuff, but he's only a hindrance. So this trope has been used a lot. We're we're actually watching Blossom with our kids right now because it happens to be on... They stole from Blossom. Well, hear me out. In like one of the seasons, like I want to say it's season three, the grandfather comes in on the scene and the grandfather doesn't know what like the VHS tape is in that he puts in and it turns out to be a little saucy. So he like acts as like the Cheerio eating older man who doesn't exactly know what's going on, but kind of causes a little bit of like rambunctiousness in the house. On the flip side, we have Felicia Rashad over at the Pearson's house with Randall and Beth. And that feels very much like... She's a woman of the times. She's a woman of the times. But that one reminds me more actually of Frazier with like having his dad living with him, who is, you know, a hardened 
officer who like knows things that Frazier doesn't know. He has more street cred than like Frazier has in the same way that, <laughs> Frazier you know, doesn't have any street cred. Exactly. In the same way that Mama C has more street cred, say, when it comes to the teenagers than Beth does. So I think that like I see a couple different dy- dynamics. We could go back to who's the boss and be like, who is Mona in this? Is she more Felicia Rashad? Is she more, uh, you know, Nikki? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say she's, she's some mixture of the two of them, but um, Mona's her own animal. <laughs> but you know, whenever you bring someone from another generation in or just any outsider, it really could be anyone. But it's, I think it helps if you get that other generation. You're going to always have that like, you know, sometimes they're out of it because they're not part of, you know, whatever the progression is, you know, what's hip for the times. Or they're going to be very worldly and, you know, have done this so many times. It's embarrassing. I mean, as a viewer for my own self, if they make a plot out of that, it's rather tired. A whole plot? Or you yeah. mean like he's just yeah, going to keep bouncing in, like right. kind of like Mona comes in with different dates and different businesses? Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be a really tired plot where if for the next six episodes, he keeps bopping in with these hindrances and finally Kevin has to be like, shut up, Uncle Nicky. And then they have to have like a moment where I'm sorry, Uncle Nicky. <laughs> well, I thought gonna actually kind of go there when he was like what the hell nikki you know like because he kind of got, got a little heated there but it's the elephant in the room right like nikki's here he's now being involved with rebecca and miguel then the fact that jack isn't there and how did their relationship come to be is the elephant in the room and it is something that i think it's fair to address but you're right it best not go more into like every episode where it's like, what would Jack do? Like, please stop. Like for, for a second, I thought that Nikki had said something racist to Miguel. And I thought, oh God. Do you thought that? Why did what Well, because it was something under his breath. Oh. But it, it was I guess it was about the Rebecca stealing stuff. It was the swooping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean Boy, yeah. do I hope we don't go there. I don't want any of that mess. I mean, yeah, yeah that would be horrible. They sh- they wouldn't do that it's, with these characters. I sure hope it's realistic enough. People of all generations, but you know, leaning toward the older ones have have certain biases that come out in that's true. Heated and I mean, discussions. he's literally lived in like a hole for the last fifty years. So, so <laughs> it's it's very plausible. But as a that- TV viewer. I don't want to really do that because we've seen it lots. It's well-trod ground. Yeah, I hope we wouldn't. Although, man, would it be a pretty excellent opposite day to Mama C over at the Pearsons who's like up on everything. (laughs) Right, exactly. If he comes in and he's like calling names, then this will be fascinating, I suppose. Since we're already operating at Kevin's house, let's go on with the rest of Kevin's house. Okay. Kevin really only has one bit of business this week, which is what to do about his best man. The rest of it is more of a Madison story, I think. I think that's true. You know, and this has been something that you talked about last week where you were like, when are we going to get back to the brother's story and like deal with this already? And now we have another phone call where this time Randall's not ready to talk. Last time Kevin wasn't ready to talk. I mean, do you think third time's a charm? Are we going to get another phone call? And then somehow we're going to finally... Oh, no. I mean, I think he's going to go to Randall. I mean, that's how they left it, was that he's 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 already checked it out with Madison, that he can go right. to Randall's house and they can have this meeting in person because they don't want to have this Zoom or, 
or phone call where sure. they sort out their past. And that makes sense, you know, and it, and it reads true to me, especially given how much they travel in this episode, in, in this show, but also um, the nature of the discussion. I mean, I, I think I've had those discussions where, you know, you're on a relationship with a person like um, a family member and you uh, have somehow achieved tolerating each other again. But you know that there's bigger business to handle and you really don't want to, but you have to because this person's going to be in your life for the rest of your, <laughs> rest of your life. Sure. <laughs> right? Sure. So I can understand why he put this off for a week and why he tried to weasel out with an email. But, you know, this is the new and improved Kevin. So he did he's wait, to do this, yeah. but he did call and he's and he's going to do it face to face. So, so, uh, so I think that that's good. And I really do hope that that scratches the itch that you've been having about like, let's get this hashed out. If it's going to be an entire episode of just Kevin and Randall talking to one another, let's have it already. Like, let's do this because the season's going to end here. And they said that this argument would last the season. Oddly, it's not the argument that's last the season. It's actually just the not reconciling. Isn't that yeah. funny? It's not like they're actively arguing this entire season. Not at all. It's just that they haven't made peace completely yet. Well, before we get back to the Madison half, let's dabble into Randall's therapy story okay. because that relates directly to this. And a question that I had about that, which is, do you suppose that Randall listening to all these varying perspectives of other what they call it, cross-racial, interracial adoptees, or what, I forget the exact terminology, but that was the idea. And how they feel about feeling for their whole lives, like a fish out of water, completely out of place. I can see how a person would relate to that, where, mm -hmm. where they Randall, but do you suppose he will find useful things there? Do you suppose it'll actually embolden the wedge that he has between him and, and his siblings? I think it would be reasonable to expect that because this seemed to be very much the first time he's ever heard anyone else have the same feelings that he has had. And they did a, they did a great job, I think, of showing us those little flashbacks to different points in time during his younger life when he could relate to the things that the group members were saying. I feel like it almost has to make it worse first, and then I'm hoping it will get better. But but I do think embolden isn't exactly the right word, but maybe more like validate that this wasn't just a, like a flash in the pan feeling he was having at different points. This is actually very common and that people who are in families who don't match their race have to figure out how they're going to feel about that and deal with it at some point in time. I actually have a friend who is adopted and she's Korean and her family is Caucasian that adopted her. And she struggled a lot in adulthood, especially about her identity and where she fits in. It's still something that is ongoing for her where she's trying to find her way and, and figure out who am I? I thought it was most impactful to have the woman whose mother only spoke Spanish and she only spoke English. That was a dramatic feeling there of like, you meet your birth mom and you literally don't even speak the same language because you grew up in a completely different life. That's pretty stark. That's that's moving to think about like, well, what would you do if you really, you couldn't even speak to the other person anymore? No, we have our own kind of small moments like that because our eldest daughter is deafblind. And so we have moments of being like, what would it be like if she could talk to us, you know? And like, what would that sound like? And what would that look like? And so I could understand like sort of that idea of, 
of how do you cope with what you thought you could have had. And when that woman said she would have chosen to stay with her mother, even with her mental health issues, to not have to have this gap between them. That's really big talk, you know? When she said that half of her adopted family won't talk to her anymore because she wishes that she hadn't been adopted, I can understand all sides of it, really. You yeah, know, it's a very bad situation. Those people that cut her off probably never viewed her as part of the family. Or or I think what you said in the in the moment was that they would probably feel like maybe she was not being very grateful or that she, in fact, was rejecting them. That's how I think mm. it would feel. It would feel like you were being rejected as the family who opened your arms to someone else. And so that feels bad. So you don't know how to deal with that, right? But on the flip side, I totally understand her POV of like, yeah, but now I have no connection to my history and my culture and my people. And in a lot of ways, because of actions of your family, how messy is that? No, the starting point was mom getting pregnant and then giving a baby up for adoption because she considered that the baby's best path forward. You're, and you're very right. The woman it's... is discounting the idea of growing up in an English-speaking country, not speaking the language everybody else speaks. It, and the woman was bipolar. Yeah, She's correct that the life she was going to offer that baby was going to be more difficult. Yeah, in theory. I mean, we don't know the other families problems because they didn't like list that out. But I see what you're saying that, I mean, it's not like any family who's willing to take any child into their home should never be looked at like, you know, you did something wrong to want to adopt a child. I think that it was fair to stop and say like, I don't know, should there be a moment where there's a conversation about who should be the best match for adoption? And I know that comes up a little bit in the special needs world, you know, where if, if you're going to adopt a child who has special needs, I mean, I think it's advantageous that you have some experience with special need people, whether it's within your own family or whether maybe it's within your profession. But you could you could agree that it would be easier on the kid to come into a family with some amount of understanding about this. Yeah, sure. I so mean, that's yeah. just relating it to us. But that, obviously, that when sense. it comes to race, culture, language, some of those things. Things, it would be it nice like taking to that into match account. some yeah. of those because I think it would. But at the same time, you hear stories where, you know, you have like a white family who desperately wants to adopt a baby of color and they're being blocked because of it. And everyone's outraged about that, too. Like here you have a loving family and a baby who needs a home. Why would you block that? That's ridiculous. So, again, both of these things can be true. The title of the whole thing. It can be a wonderful idea to adopt. It can also be not the best thing for the kid. Oh my gosh, how can both be true? I mean, all these people's life stories and perspectives are valid. They did happen. There's nothing to right. discount that. But as therapy, I wonder, is it just a forum to share that? Well, we didn't get enough to understand what will happen next. You know, I mean, he was saying that this portion for himself, and we're just really seeing it from Randall's POV. So for him, this was only the listening portion. So that's all we did was go around the group and kind of listen to different people's stories and start putting it together that, oh boy, Randall has had these same experiences. He's going to have a lot of feelings about this. So I'm hoping they show the group again. And you're right. I hope there's something constructive that they can do some sort of process, some sort of you know, what are the steps to feeling better? Because it is what it is now. 
this is the family you grew up with. You know, you don't, you aren't with your biological parents. Okay. What happens now? And that's the part where we're at with Kevin and Randall. And what happens now? Shifting back to Kevin's house with Madison and that whole story, that was just sort of a light touch story there, right? To give us a little in-law time with the Tobes and Madison taking a little step forward out of her, out of her shell that she had created for herself in terms of not being able to say what she wants to other people. And that's a good step forward, the, the venue change, all that stuff. I like that they pulled back in the Japanese connection because if you guys remember, she has that guest room that was like completely decked out I in the remember. Japanese style. And and it was so funny when she opened that door and it was like, whoa, but now she actually told the backstory without it being this dramatic backstory moment. But it's like, you could go back and tie it together and it's like, ah, I get you now. And good to know that like her parents got divorced Good to know that she's had dad issues. I think we actually got a lot from a very quick story. Plus, then we get the fan theory fodder at the very last, the closing moments of the scene, all of Kevin's past loves picking up the Us magazine with various levels of amusement about the story of the Manny putting a ring on it. Are we supposed to get something out of Sophie's teary-eyed reading of the article? You know, each of the women had a reaction, none more, I don't think, dramatic than the other. I didn't think, but you read Sophie's as more dramatic. The, the other two were smiling, sort of like a, that old Kevin, you know, that scamp, but hers was less scampy. <laughs> well, we can understand that, though. I mean, she has far more history with him and she's his ex-wife. There is that. <laughs> I mean, hello. <laughs> you know, she could have been married to the Manny. You know, she was married to the kid who didn't have any money, you know, and everything. So, I mean. Yeah, she really messed that up. But stop it. (laughs) Um, Say you're joking. These are the jokes, people. I'm here all week. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, Madison is living a life that Sophie could have led with him, having kids and all that stuff. And, And unless things have changed, Sophie doesn't have kids. We don't know. But she didn't last time we checked in with her. When he picked her up at that, when they went on that little tour, was she anything at that moment? No, it was like revolving around her wedding. What? No, her mom died. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. You're right. The funeral. Yeah. But um, but still, we didn't see any kids. So. No. But I don't know. I mean, obviously, we had said the whole time that Zoe, Cassidy especially, but Sophie especially, were all on the table as like potential what the heck is going to happen. He slept with all these women you know, potential other children out there, potential all kinds of things out there. Like those three women be continuously being brought in and now to have this montage reaction to him getting married. I mean, I think you're not wrong as a TV watcher to wonder if they're going to pan out on Zoe and have her be holding the hand of like a one-year-old or something. She didn't want kids. Anything is possible, you know? So I don't know. I think it's fascinating that they're bringing them back in. It was very... Telegraph to us, though, you know, yeah. they always left Cassidy. You said the whole time, she's way too big of an actress to have her have popped on and just go away forever. Yeah. So there's something brewing, I think, with that one. She seems the most likely, doesn't she? Well, we've got our eye on you, <laughs> Cassidy. I mentioned Toby a second ago. Did it seem to you that unemployed Toby is kind of a jerk? <sighs> Tell me more. Well, my note says, uh, Toby, sort of a jerk. <laughs> but why? But like, what are you reading oh, just, as a jerk? 
I don't know. His his jokes weren't funny. His attitude about everything seemed to have kind of a sharper, non-Toby type edge. It made me wonder, in fact, if given unemployment for much longer, will his deep-seated depression crop up again and become another nether line? I know a lot of people are uh, concerned that with the offer having been made to Kate from Kevin to turn to him if they ever need money, if that runs too long, um, will she do so? And will that make things worse between the two of them? You know, she's, we'll talk about in a second, but Kate's having her own struggles at work that may not pan out effectively. And Toby, who knows when he'll get a job again? That's how being unemployed works. That's a long way of saying, do you think Toby is being set up for a slide? I think he's being set up for a slide. I, I wasn't going to jump on the bandwagon if you said, is a jerk. <laughs> I was going to be like, no, I don't think he's a jerk. I think that you're a thousand percent right that he's being set up for this downhill depression. I think that that's very plausible. We don't have that many episodes left. And so, you know, chances are he has to go through some sort of moment here where he doesn't want to stay home. He's not happy with the life that's that is being unfolded in front of him. Kate's not going to make enough money. He needs those meds. He needs those meds, which means they need insurance, no doubt. Yeah. So again, those are not the glamorous things we talk about, but insurance is a big deal. So I don't know what she has at the school. She probably won't have anything that that great. So we'll see. But I, I think that it's very plausible that this is the start of the mental health crisis that we think we see him going towards. Speaking of jerks. What did you think of Kate's boss? Whoa, man, you can tell they made, that he was going to be a jerk as soon as he had an English accent, right? Oh, my God. I was really thrown by him. What is all this grief you're throwing at her? I mean, you know, this is a special school, and that doesn't necessarily mean that every person there is going to be sunshine and roses, because certainly we have met our fair share of not-so-great people within the special needs world. But still, normally, if you're like a music teacher to kids who have special needs, you're you're not normally a really big hard-ass. I you're mean, sort of a soft touch. You tend to be. <laughs> I mean, that's been our experience, and we've been done many different programs they tend to be pretty kind-hearted people. So I was pretty surprised with his approach. Again, though, on the flip side, a little surprised with Kate about showing up like two minutes before the class started on your first day. I understand. I, I'm a mom. I get it's difficult to leave your kids sometimes, but eh, that wasn't terribly professional. I mean, I think she probably should have shown up earlier so she could have met him and it could have been a little bit more smooth, but his rhinoceros running at her, you know, behavior was like, what are you doing? Yeah. I don't work in the teaching profession. I work in the, it's funny, training and teaching are not the same thing, <laughs> but the women I work with do not talk about their kids and they never use kids as an excuse for anything. So her whole thing came off as the expectation had not been set up properly in her mind, how to act to work, how to get to work, how to be at work, all that stuff. If someone had said the assistants arrive an hour early or whatever, she would have been there. I think it's really important, especially because I'm a teacher and I kind of get a little bit prickly, a little how he did about this idea that just because you have some interest in a subject 
Or even if you have a talent in a subject, that doesn't make you a teacher. And there's still a lot of things that go into it. The structure of how a school works. Like you said, how do the teacher's aides work? How does this part work? What is our dynamic? I mean, she doesn't even know. And you figure that stuff out through things like student teaching. When, you know, you learn the ropes of how the different professions interact with each other and, you know, where their boundaries are and stuff. What should you be doing? When should you show up? So I can understand where he's feeling a little like, hey, you can't just act like you can walk in here and do what I do. I've been trained to do this. I'm super happy you have an interest and a talent, but, (laughs) you know, that's not the same thing. It's, It's something that I deal with. You know, I feel like I feel like people close to me have been like, well, you know, I'm just going to be a teacher. You're like. Oh, <laughs> just just a teacher. It's just, just that. And, and you think anyone's going to listen to you and you think you know what you're doing? Like, OK, all right. All right. I see you. Did it seem to you that the girl that she helped in that scene looked a lot like the actress that they used for teen Kate, middle Kate, not older teen Kate, but the middle girl who was singing? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, I think she's the right age generally. So maybe you're getting that vibe. No, I mean, facial features, hair length, just general everything. Okay, so you think maybe she's feeling a little kinship? Yes. Okay, I could go with that. Yeah, sure. They're very intentional about their casting. So, you know, I think that that's possible. So here's a question. Can, it's two questions. Okay, I'm ready. I'm prepared. Can Kate win over the boss or, and just narratively, plot-wise, representing reality to some degree, should she be able to win over that guy? I can tell you, having been just in high school band, which is not exactly the highest echelons of music production, but you can run into people that take music as serious as a gunfight. It is their business. You know, you don't fuck around. They're not there to jam. It is big deal to them. So that guy's behavior, as kind of out of place as it was in a special school, was not completely out of place for a music director. Okay, yes, that's true. I don't have a lot of experience with music directors, but I know you do. And we have uh, our other partner in, in Pod Clubhouse also does. And I've heard numerous stories from you guys about how particular they are and how stern they can be and how degrading even the way that they can talk to people. Exactly what he said to that girl about defining Allegro and 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 her and needing that from her right then and that and him considering that instruction. So those were two different instructors approaches. I'm not going to say that he did the wrong thing. I think he was trying to lead the horse to water. Like, hey, what did it say at the top of the page? Okay, without me saying it, sort of like self-reflect, am I doing that? Okay, so would you like to do it differently now that we remember the instructions? Okay, let's try it. Okay, that's an approach. That's a perfectly valid approach. I can see you're not into that. Her way of doing it is equally valid in terms of like, okay, well, so if you see the kid still isn't getting it, try another approach. Okay. Hey, let me tell you about this character. Let me tell you how they're feeling. Let me tell you what's going on in the scene. Maybe that will help. I think it's actually a two-step approach. So maybe what I'm seeing is that they're actually a pretty good balance of each other where he's going to come at it from one way, which I think would actually work with you just fine. Whereas with me, I would be so flustered by him asking me what the definition of a musical term was when I'm like, I don't know what this has to do with what you're wanting me to perform right now. Kate's approach would work with me, but I think you would have understood what he meant. And I don't think you would have wanted 
this big old like, Paul, I want you to imagine yourself. I think you'd have been like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Let me just try again. You know, I don't think you would have even enjoyed that. Not to disagree with you on air here, but both work. Uh, one is is basically like the step-by-step instructions of what to perform. And what Kate gave was more like the how you should be performing it in a way, that extra layer. It's more like after you've learned kind of the technical aspects of what the notes are, how long to hold them, all that crap, then what drives it to make it good? You know what I mean? And having that kind of picture in your mind of what the song means right then to the person singing it helps. I a thousand percent agree. I mean, that's how I would take it. But I know you know more technical people who really just need the technical information to perform their job. Sure. Sure, sure. So, so what I'm trying to say is that both approaches are totally okay. I know we would handle it differently. I know we would want to be more warm and fuzzy with those people and try to help them, you know, meet them where they are. And that's what Kate was seeing. I mean, I think she was seeing that the girl, that wasn't enough instruction, you know, for her to get where he wanted her to be. But you asked me that the concept of, do I think she'll win him over? Maybe they're going to have a Oscar Felix relationship. Maybe the goal isn't to win him over. Maybe they're going to be the yin yang. You know, he's going to be the more technical side that she doesn't necessarily go right to. And she's going to be the more warm and fuzzy kind of mom type that's going to explain more, use some different analogies for the kids, that type of thing. Try to relate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. We don't know his background at all. I mean, he could have 10 blind kids at home. You know, he could be the dad too. We don't know. But for her, she does have a blind baby at home. So she does have parts to her that maybe are going to experience things differently than him. So I'm totally fine with them just sticking at Felix and Oscar. I don't need them to be best friends. And I think actually you're right. I think it would be a little like disingenuous to think that the super technical guy is going to really love the cardigan wearing friendly lady. Like, I don't know necessarily that they are meant to be best friends. Here, I think, is the key that will come out later. The dick mentioned (laughs) that Dr. Whomever is the one that hired Kate, despite his desire to have what he views as more qualified applicants in that spot. Is it possible that she knows that he is a technically proficient dick with kids and needs that balance in order for their program to be effective and useful to their target audience. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that the administrator... So the doctor knows. Yeah, I would have liked to think that the administrator had the sense that, okay, this guy needs to be softened. You know, like he Mm -hmm. has some pretty severe edges and, you know, these kids may benefit from a little bit of soft and fuzzy. So I completely understand that. And I think that that's a good sense. I think that... Coming at her like that to begin with, man, though, Paul, let's go back to the, to the idea that we know Kate Pearson. Like coming at her and telling her that she does not have what it takes, that she is not prepared for yeah. this. Oh, it, no. It I mean, her lifetime's narrative. Yes. And that's my concern, to be honest with you. All this stuff about whether or not she's going to win him over or whatever. I don't know if that's going to be our big crisis here. I think the problem is going to be He's going to get into her head. She is not going to have been the most proficient at this, uh, you know, the most uh, experienced applicant. And I don't know if she's going to blow up her own show. Then is there something to read into that moment later 
when Kate and Toby meet back up at home, when all she tells about is the success that she had with the girl bringing out a better performance through her coaching. But she doesn't mention, oh yeah, my boss is a complete dick. She doesn't say that. Is it possible that like swallowing that up is going to be like a thing at some point? I think she's going to blow up her own show. Yeah, I think it's going to be a whole thing. I think we're going to see her feel like, just get back to that place of being, you know, uncertain, insecure, you know, when she just finally kind of got her feet under her. Now, I mean, I have a lot of question marks about what's going on with Kate and Toby in terms of like adopting the second kiddo and just how this is all going in general. I mean, it feels like that house has got to be so chaotic and so wild. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to two little babies and Toby's never stayed home with anyone. I actually had like a weird little moment where I was thinking, I understand we need to have this scene where Toby and Madison are talking to each other just sitting on a bench. And I get it that Madison's babies are minute and can't be playing or anything. But Jack could be. And everyone remember, he's blind. So if anyone is saying they're thinking like, oh, he's watching the kids play. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah. So the idea that like he wasn't being brought around, like they should have had him pushing him on a swing or doing something to where he like Jack was getting something out of it. Because to me, that's speaking to like the complete lack of getting it. Yeah. Which we've already gone through with Toby. So I think is very like much on the table. And I don't, I'm not trying to pick at him, but I am kind of looking at the writers like, do you want us to be picking up on something? Or did you just make this scene in a way that was like, well, it's just easier if they're stationary. I don't know. I don't know if this is a COVID thing. I don't know what we're dealing with, but it seemed very not true to life. Like if you bring a kiddo to a park who's big enough to play and you leave them in their stroller, it's a little weird. I think you might be on something with the COVID stuff because it seems like whenever we've seen people interacting with actual live babies instead of things that are probably dolls, it looks like probably my guess is it's like the parents' hands in the same clothing <laughs> as the actors' hands, like reaching into the into camera and manipulating the baby. We haven't seen a whole lot of the actors with a little bit. I know we have, but but not a whole lot. Hard to say. All right, let's jump over to Randall's house and all of the misadventures over there with Beth, Tess, and Mama C. I was happy to have Mama C be on the scene as much as she was. I think that she played the part perfectly as expected. Her little just like, just dropping little little seeds here and there, just saying stuff like, oh yeah, no, I've totally, like, I know what's up. I know everything do you believe that? I mean, I know she just recently retired. Do you really believe that she's like this woke? Or are they pushing the envelope with us that it's like, really? Is she really this into this whole thing? Or are they just trying to paint this like perfect situation where she just totally gets it? Is this realistic? Well, both things can be true. But given her background in education, that's something that, that she would need to get right. Or she kind of exposes herself to all kinds of like professional bad stuff. So getting up on that, getting educated on that, I, even though relatively, I understand what you're saying. I just think it's going so fast is what I guess is really what I'm trying to say. 
that I feel like everything's going so fast and things are changing so quickly that it's hard to believe that say she was, you know, still in the schools just a couple of years ago. I still don't think the same language I know the same language is not being used as just a couple of years the ago. Popular perception of the pronoun issue is is it's, newer than that. I mean, I can understand I think that it would be newer than when she was working, but I'm not sure. I, I don't want to act like, oh, this is something to be so like, you know, picky at. But, you know, there are a couple of things like you noticed that like during the Miguel and Jack scene when Miguel referenced a side hustle. Yeah. That's that's a word I heard like two years ago, but not before that. You know, I'm going to so. give it longer than two years, but certainly not back then. Not the they? late 70s. Yeah, no. no, I don't believe that. And then so they then, were doing the hustle. I <laughs> there you go. The hustle <laughs> meant something completely different. So then that's where I'm kind of going with with Mama C is like, I kind of think they're pushing the envelope and trying to make it be a little bit too futuristic, a little bit too of the times when it's like, I don't know that this woman would be that hip to everything. But let's just accept that she is. I will. She's a sage. She's She's a a balancing force in the house with stuff happening that Beth, uh, who has normally been the very cool-headed, balanced to Randall's reactive, I want to fix everything perspective on life. And now they're making Beth the one who has to struggle. But the trouble is... Randall can't balance that out, you know, because he's got stuff happening from last season that he still needs to work out. So they got to bring Mama C in in order to make her applicable. They got to make her kind of perfect. You're 100% right. And come on now, she's Claire Huxtable at the end of the day. So she was always a capable woman. So I, I, I'm going to always look at her like that. I am curious about how you felt about this entire Alex coming over test situation. I think it was super fair for Mama C to be like, why did you not talk about any boundaries? Mm -hmm. Now, this is something that I think is an interesting part of this whole, like, what do you do if your child is a teenager and they decide that especially, I think this is especially with girls because of things like sleepovers and stuff are so much more common with girls. So how do you handle that stuff? When your daughter is telling you, okay, I think I might be interested or in test case, she's completely come out as gay. What do you do? How do you set the boundaries for things like keeping the door open? Like you might with a boy. And I know it's, you know, people could be listening right now and say, duh, you should, you should set the same exact boundaries. You're so stupid. I get it. Okay. And I apologize. I'm trying to just learn here. But from the standpoint of like, yesterday it was okay to have a bunch of girls over and have a sleepover at Tessa's house. And then now when do you have to leave the door open and when do you don't have to leave the door open? And I guess, I mean, just in talking it out, I guess your boundary line would have to be like, if this person is coming over in any type of romantic and or like intimate way, right? Like you're dating them in some sense or whatever. I don't care if they're a boy or a girl and I don't care if you're a boy or a girl, you have to leave the door open. And you have and you have to follow all the same guidelines as the Malik and Deja situation, right? Mm-hmm, so right. come down here and watch TV. I'm gonna sit between you with my pretzels. All the things that she did with Malik and Deja, she should have been doing with Alex and Tess. But because this is same sex, she is definitely stumbling because it's like, oh shoot. I mean, is it okay for them to go upstairs and have the door closed? Because it would have been in the past with Tess just having just simply a friend, not dating someone. It's not 
I mean, I have friends whose kids have come out um, and and there is a question mark of like, how do you handle things like sleepovers? How do you handle things like having a friend over? Because as parents, you're always trying to dance that line with teenagers of like, I don't want you like going too far, you know, right under, right here, right now, like you're not ready or whatever sexually. So then there's like this game, right? Of like, ah, how do I know how to handle this? Tess, for me, looking at her as a parent, I don't know how to deal with her. Tess, it seems, invited Alex over to make out with them. And in doing so, wanted to challenge her mom. It, it didn't it feel that way? That the way that, I mean, T- Beth? Well, see, I mean, that maybe that, it's that on whole, Tess then almost a little bit. I you, think there is a lot on Tess, actually. I well, mean, that, I, that I, whole I, moment when she says, I saw that look. Beth didn't, and you were okay. canoodling, and Beth comes in and and breaks it up in a half a second. There was no time for a look other than my kid is making out with anyone. Making it doesn't out with someone, matter. And she told me she was matter. up here studying. I'm giving Caroline air quotes. Yeah, yeah, you're totally 100% right. Of course, there's a look being given. And I would give the same disapproval look for anybody who is up here who you said you're studying with, and instead I come up and you're making out. The end. And that's the thing. I wish he would have just owned up to that. I wish Beth would have just said, absolutely, I gave you a look. I'm going to give you a look like that every single time. You feed me some bullshit about making or or doing homework. Yeah. Yeah. When you're really doing something else like, you know, or that especially you're doing something that, you know, I would be critical of not having to do with who you're making out with. But the fact that like we have rules in this house, like Malik isn't up here making out with Deja, like, and you already know, like you have an older sibling who is already dating someone, like you kind of already know you're breaking the rules. And that's why I'm saying it's on test. Like she knows there are house rules and it's her, in my opinion, who is not making Alex equivalent to Malik. She's not making them equivalent. Mm. And so then if you're not going to act like they're equivalent and, and realize like, well, if there's a rule for Malik, then If you're dating and you're taking this seriously and you want everyone to take this, like this is a relationship that everyone should respect. Why would you not follow the same rules that Deja and Malik as a relationship follow? Exactly. So that's where I feel like it gets messy that she's, she's knowingly breaking a rule because she's the second kid in this situation. She's not the first kid. You know, she knows what the house rules are. If you're bringing someone over, you're dating, you leave the door open or you stay downstairs. It's already established. It's kind of bullshit, I think, to blow this up bigger. That it's like, well, because it was an Alex situation, that's the problem. Maybe, maybe also because you lied and you also didn't follow the house rules for what we do when you're in a relationship with someone. That seems just as plausible. What about that last statement that Tess gave? Because I think Tess, like I said, was was intentionally trying to challenge Beth. But, yeah. but the moment when she said... That it makes her sad that she has to try with her, but she doesn't have to try with Deja and Annie. That's kind of cutting Beth off the knees, right? In terms of like, well, then anything that she does in in terms of trying to strengthen the relationship is quote unquote trying. Okay, get ready, Paul. I'll lay this on you. Okay. Both of these things can be true. Say what? Yeah, we're getting back to the title. It can be both that trying is is both the right thing to do and exactly what Tess is asking her family to do and also the thing that can be causing a problem between her and her family. That's possible. Now, here's the thing. Let's like, let's kind of take this away from this particular issue and just talk about the idea of not being the mainstream kid in the family, right? Because we're not. 
we're not the mainstream kid in the family because we have three special needs kids. So when we come and we both have siblings and the rest of the family is doing things in a certain way, everyone has to try because of us. And on some days we can be very grateful for the trying and other days it can be very grating to feel like quit making me feel like you have to try so hard mm, yeah. because it's pissing me off because it is what it is. And I need you to stop making me feel like our dietary issues are a problem or our, you've been there. Nobody wants to feel like the special case. Nobody wants to feel like the special case. And you've talked about this at work. Like when you even let anyone know that you have a special situation, right? Yeah. And and I'm, I mean, obviously your sexuality is not a special case. We're not trying to make it like that, but I'm just trying to take it out of into like a different context that at least for you and I, we can speak to very comfortably and understand and try to say to other people, maybe you don't have this situation in your house. But certainly you've had a situation where it is what it is. Maybe you're suffering with depression and someone is having to go an extra mile for you. And on one hand, you're happy that they are. And on another hand, you feel kind of like pissed if they make any kind of point of that Mm -hmm. because you don't want to be thought of as like, everybody's got to be trying because of me, you know, because of what's going on in my world here. For us, it's even like weirdly more satellite because It's not actually us who have special needs. We're like advocating for our children. So it's like we get we can get even extra pissy because it's like we are trying ourselves. We don't need any grief about you trying, which maybe is how Tess is feeling like this world is already hard enough for her. She doesn't want to have to have, you know, an after school special with her mother every freaking day so that she can be accepting of what's going on. But man, I think we're actively, I think I'm about to have another conversation with another family member very soon about like, I need you to try and I need you to try more quietly (laughs) (laughs) where you're not like, this is hard for me to understand. Like, I need you to try, but it's got to be a hell of a lot more subtle than what you're doing. Because not only are you putting too much of a spotlight on things that are very much the symptoms of the actual issues we're dealing with, and they're already known symptoms. So like, you talking about them or pointing them out is like painful and like ineffective. So there's like, there's so much there that I think that I can, I can relate to this whole idea of like, I don't want to be, you know, the, the kid and, and Tess is the middle kid now, which is me. And there's a lot that you just want to be able to come in. You want your kids to sit down with all the other kids. You want everything to just go the way it's supposed to go. Every single meal we have to hear well, is this one going to eat at the table with us? Does that one need some special food made or whatever? And it's like, sometimes you're like, just put out the food. And if they eat, they eat. And like, stop making a big thing. But they're trying. Mm -hmm. They're only saying it to be kind and to make sure that everyone has what they need. But at the same time, like, I don't want to have that conversation every single time we sit down for a meal. It gets grating, you know? So I hope, does that soften you a little on Tess? Because you were really ready to be like, Tess, you're kind of being a pain in the ass. But like, does that soften you to like, hang on, we've been in Tess's shoes and it's not always fun to feel like people are trying for you. It does. It does. Often when I'm watching this show and I don't understand um, something or I I react badly, like, oh, I don't like that on this show. um, It's often that I haven't considered all of the perspectives or, or, you know, things feeding into why they decided to make a character do a certain thing. And once I take a little closer look at it, I can relate to it, even though I may not have had that exact same challenge or struggle. 
there is something that does apply to something that I've gone through. So yes, I have, I have personally very straightforward sexuality, so I don't have that aspect to look at it, but there are those moments of being Paul that do offer moments of, I'll say otherness, I guess. And I guess everybody does. And they just need a little reframing in order to kind of appreciate the moments that are being presented in the show through Tess's character. I think it's important. I think this is a great conversation to have. And I think that it's really something that people don't think about, that there is a whole exhaustion level that comes with having anything about you that isn't 100% neurotypical, mainstream, quote unquote, normal. There's a lot more than just the actual challenge you have, but then the way you interact with people and the way that people interact with you can be exhausting on a whole other level. And and we play that game all the time. When to tell someone. Same like Tess is going to play that game. When do you tell someone? Because it changes everything. The way they talk to you is different. The way that you're going to talk to them now is different, you know? And it's mm-hmm. a whole game of like, sometimes, and, and Tess as a character might find this to be true, sometimes you want to tell them preemptively because you don't, want them to accidentally embarrass themselves by saying something or doing something that they would have handled potentially more sensitively had they known. Right. Right. So for us, a lot of times, if I feel like people are, are edging towards a Helen Keller joke, or if they're going to start saying something about being blind, none of that would be okay with me at all, but I almost want to help them help themselves. Like I want to keep them from falling into a hole. I want to say, Hey, I just wanted to throw this out there that like, actually, you know, I have a deafblind child and because I know you would never want to say anything. And and sometimes, you know, they weren't going to say anything, but sometimes they're like, you could see the cogs turning. Like I almost just stepped right into saying something that maybe I could say to someone else because people say stuff about like, oh, you know, what are you blind? You didn't see that. You know what I get a lot? What do you get? People at work, they don't want a lot of details about your life, really. But when you've worked with somebody long enough, eventually they get around to, oh, I didn't know you had kids. How old are they? And then you say, and then they're like, oh, sounds like everybody must be getting ready to drive or, or some shit like that. And is anybody getting ready to drive at our house? No. Right. And so- Or graduate or whatever else. So like you- before we both have to suffer through either me just lying about a bunch of stuff because I don't really talk to them that much, which I've done or having them get so deep into this that when I finally peel back the curtain that they feel like a gigantic ass. Yeah. We're like saving people from themselves. And it's not, it's so awkward because sometimes I'm with other people and they're surprised that I've kind of laid it out there, but I almost just want to be like, trust We were just about to get a comment that was going to make them feel foolish when I have to say, actually, no, that's not like you said. No, she's not in driver's ed. She's actually deaf blind. So no. And instead of doing that, just be like, let me stop you right there. (laughs) I can see you're edging towards a car conversation. Let's just not even happen. I've got a card for this situation already worked up. I'll let you read that and get back to me later. Yeah. We joked all the time that whenever someone would say a comment, I would take a deep breath. And then basically my thought process would be, well, you get to learn about deaf blindness today. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it was just like, because my other choice is to get mad or be offended. And I and I made a conscious choice because I was the one that mostly was going to doctor's appointments or being in public places where someone would say, oh, she she's looks tired. tired. Yeah. She's sleeping. And you're like, no, dude, her eyes are closed for other reasons. But I don't even want to get into it, you know. But but most of the time, I, I, I just decided it's so much better if I could just educate a little bit and then maybe they will pause and either not say anything at all or just say, what a beautiful baby you have. And don't even try to make any other comments about it, you know, because yep. you don't, we're at, we're at the hospital. So maybe just quit. Well, this was a, an interesting episode in that I have so many notes that of scenes that were just short little snippets. It was like yeah. punch, 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 punch. Yeah. Well, because this is the first time we we're back with all three kids. This wasn't a fully Kevin episode or a full Kate or a full Randall. This was popping between each household, even including Miguel. Yeah. So then we were getting the full family. Everybody was being represented. So I, I know that that various listeners have wondered when I'm going to enjoy an episode. And, <laughs> and I did enjoy this one because it did fit well, that this is us uh, formula more closely than, yeah. than we'd seen before. I, I think we did detect a little bit of COVIDness intruding here I and there. I think so. I think the but, playground scene, I think obviously with um, Rebecca, the character not being in there, we know that Mandy Moore had a baby. So, I mean, it's. You, we can sit here and pick apart the idea that like Miguel and Nikki are planning the rehearsal dinner. Like Rebecca wouldn't be Yikes. there. Yeah. I mean, of course that's <laughs> foolishness, but we won't pick on it because we know, we know what's going on in real life. Right? A couple geriatric men, straight <laughs> right. I, men. I was thinking about small plates. Like, okay, Miguel. I mean, I don't know. You've never come across like the, like planning a big dinner party, but okay, maybe. Especially at like a level that's like celebrity level. Right. So who's in charge of the centerpieces, right? How are they not having a party planner or wedding planner for any of this? Like uh, what is happening right now? But yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I, th I think you're right. This episode was great. I love that we touched base with everybody and we moved the needle on everybody. Everyone said something, did something that, that changed the story a little bit. This was not bogging down anywhere. So with that, this is Paul. This is Caroline. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.